There we go. Uh, I'm going to turn my phone on here so that I don't get too long. There we go. <laughs> Man, that, that's the truth. Holy moly. Uh, I won't even... Yeah, I won't even get into my uh, my effort to find this place. GPS didn't even work. I mean, it was it was interesting. So anyway, um, so one of the things that God is really working on my heart about is this idea of assurance. How do we know that we are saved? How can we walk in that assurance that yes, we do know the Lord? Uh, I don't know if anybody else here is struggling with that, is wrestling with that. How exactly do I know for sure that I'm okay? Um, but that's where it's, what God has been wrestling with me about. Um, where we find our assurance. What is, what is our assurance really based on? What is it focused on? I don't know if you've ever thought through that. Or kind of a quirky way to ask the question, how can you be assured that you have assurance? Right? Because assurance, in, by definition, is a feeling. And feelings are not something that we typically... Um, can muster up. They are by nature, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, spontaneous. So, for instance, um, when you're going down the road, somebody cuts you off, you don't stop there for a second and go, I think I'm going to get mad now. Yes, yes, I'm going to get mad now. And then you act out that mad, right? Feelings are spontaneous. So if we want, assurance is the sense it's the um it's the it's the sense in our spirit it's the feeling in our spirit that we know that we are saved right we can look to things and say based on x y and z uh, and convince ourselves that we're saved but i think if we were honest each one of us what we desire deep down inside is to know to have a conviction to have a something that wells up inside of here that goes beyond just i'm going to convince myself that i'm okay because i did this this and this and this even if it's believe the gospel or whatever, but have something inside that says, yes, I know it deep down in my bones. I can feel, I can sense, I can know deep down that I am a believer, that I know the Lord. Um, and by human nature, we want to have control over things. We want to have control over our life, over our, our different aspects of life, but we also want to have control over our feelings. We want to be able to to not let our feelings run away with us, right? So what we do is we try to find these ways that we can measure the intensity of our feelings or we can somehow measure our feelings so that we can better understand them. And if we can better understand them, we have more peace in, in relation to those, right? So how this plays out, how this plays out in our um, in our struggle with whether or not we really feel assured if we feel saved day by day i mean if you're like me there's good days and there's definitely bad days and if i if the intensity of that sense within me right if it's a good day the intensity of that of that feeling goes oh man it's just good i feel good i feel close to god and it swells and it allows me helps me to feel assured in my faith but when that intensity weakens i lose that i lose that ability to really feel close to the lord and feel assured so um in light of that because our faith 
Let me ask you this. Um, does how you feel about your salvation, the intensity of how strong you feel connected to the Lord, does that change the, the pillars by which you got saved? In other words, we are saved by grace through faith. Does that mean I'm saved by grace through faith as long as I feel like I'm saved by grace through faith? Or the opposite, I'm saved by grace through faith, but if 10 years down the road, I, I really start to struggle with that, that sense within us that I'm okay. Does that take that away? No, obviously not. There are objective pillars that don't move, right, that we can latch a hold of to say, my faith is based on these, obje- uh, these objective things, and whether or not I feel uh, strongly about those or about myself in context to that doesn't matter. That's a subjective sense. So we don't toss that away, though, right? Some would say because our faith is based on objective truths, it, you shouldn't give a rip how you feel, right? You shouldn't desire to have this, this, this um, conviction within your heart that says, no, I belong to God. I am his. I, I am a believer. Um, yet we see in the book of Hebrews that God tells us um, that we, he wants us to feel that. You guys understand that? He wants us, he desires his children to know to be persuaded that they are, they, they are a child of God. He, he calls it in Hebrews to have the full assurance of faith. He wants that for us. So your Christianity is not an empty affirmation of Bible facts. Your Christianity should be rooted in Bible facts, Bible pillars, objective, unmoving, doesn't change pillars of the faith. Faith by grace, salvation, the cross, those are objective things that don't change regardless of how we feel about them. Even an atheist, it doesn't change. Does the cross and what Jesus did on the cross change because an atheist doesn't believe it? Absolutely not. Those are objective truths. So we can excuse altogether ourselves and say, well then I'm just going to Grin and bear it. I don't know if you've ever lived that life. That I don't really feel like a Christian, but I'm just going to grin and bear it, and God must not be interested in me feeling close to him. And that's not true. He wants you to have the full assurance of your faith. So, if assurance is a feeling, right? I feel assured that I belong to God. Uh, and that's the feeling that God desires for us to have. How do, we, how do we pursue that without falling into this trap that says, if I don't feel it, now I'm somehow uh, either not saved or, or I fall off the rails on the other side. There's this tight line that we have to walk that says, no, God wants this for my life, so how do I pursue that and not fall off the rails if it's not there? Um, C.S. Lewis is a uh, pretty incredible writer. He's long since dead, but um, he talks about joy in a way. It's not exactly assurance, but we're going to see it in context of assurance. I think it'll help. 
He talks about joy in a way that I think will help. And I'm going to ask you now, you're, you're going to have to think a little bit. You're going to have to think with me a little bit. Um, because what he says about joy, this observation is truly, um, it's very uh, insightful. Okay, so, and I'm going to have to read some of this. These aren't, these aren't his words, these are my paraphrases, but still, I, want, I really wanted to get this straight for you. So, what he says regarding joy, he says, to experience joy, one must do so indirectly. When we, if we seek joy, now put yourself there, right? You, you've just had your first child at your wedding or some other really joyous occasion. You are in the moment and you are experiencing that joy. Your heart is being lifted, right? If we seek joy and realize in the moment when we're experiencing it, that in fact we're experiencing it, it goes away. Okay, now, let me explain that a little bit differently, because he's absolutely right. Um, to say it another way, if in the middle of experiencing this joy, we consciously turn our attention away from whatever it is that's producing that joy in us, right? You just had your first child, you see this child, and it's like, Whoa, and your heart just leaps within you and you just feel this overwhelming sense of joy and unbelievableness. If you are able to step outside of yourself and look at that and go, oh look, I'm experiencing joy, right? Because we all want to have joy in our lives. If in that moment we take our eyes off of this child that is, that is, is producing joy in us and we go, oh look, I'm experiencing joy, it's gone. Because your focus turns off of whatever produced that joy and onto the experience of having it. That um, t- true, authentic joy is only really seen or realized after the fact. Right? We have this moment and we're in the moment. You've heard that phrase, right? If you're in the moment, you're just absorbed in it and you're not analyzing yourself about the joy that you're having in that moment. You're just there. You're experiencing it. You're riveted on whatever it is that is producing that joy in you. Does that make sense? So there's an object that is, that is producing that joy. There's an object of the joy that when you focus on that, you're, you experience that joy. But as soon as you become conscious of the fact that something's going on here and you take your eyes off of there, it's called navel-gazing. You ever heard that term? Navel-gazing? you got a belly button, right? And this is my life, people. <laughs> this is why we're talking about it because I'm a, I'm a business analyst. I'm a business operations manager, so this is in my nature. But when it comes to spiritual things, I'm like... I'm looking at my navel. That's navel gazing, right? And I, and I have these conversations in my head. Am I okay? Do I feel okay? Is my motives right? Is this, should I feel this way? Should I not feel that way? What's going on? And I navel gaze at myself. And when I do that, I take my eyes off of whatever it was that was producing that joy. And I start looking at myself. And I'm wondering, is this real? Is this not real? Am I okay? It's the exact same thing with assurance, folks. The exact same thing is true with that, with respect to assurance as well. When in an effort, and if you're honest, I think you do this because everybody does. 
when in an effort to feel assured, we focus or we shift our focus off of the object of our assurance, whatever gives us assurance, and we shift that to whether or not we feel assured, we lose it. We lose that assurance. Because not that you lose your faith. I'm not saying you become a non-believer. I'm saying the, the, the inside conviction, you lose that, right? Because if I shift off of what I'm, what I'm looking at that gives me that conviction, that assurance, that, that peace, that strength, and I shift it and I, and, I, and I look for in myself, do I feel assured? Do I not feel assured, right? I become... Um, Another phrase that, that I, I live with is analysis paralysis, right? I navel-gaze myself to the point where I paralyze myself. I'm analyzing my own feelings and my own motivations and all this other stuff to the point where I, I, I can't move. I'm, I'm, I'm paralyzed in it, right? I don't want that for you, and I don't want that for me. And God's really been working on my heart to know how then is it that we find our assurance in the way that God wants us to. Because we can find our assurance by white-knuckling it and bearing down and saying, no, on it, I walked an aisle on February 3rd, 19-whatever, and that's what happened, and that's where I find my assurance in some act that I did or that you did, right? Or I go to church every week, or... I, I think that that Bible, the Bible that, that I read, is the Word of God, and based on that, I'm going to be... And, and the, the, the assurance that God wants from us, that deep-down conviction that you are my child, we lose it because we just, we just replace it with willpower-driven conviction over um, whatever it is that we can control and measure. So, how do, we, how do we walk this fine line and, and do both? How do we see the objective truths of our faith, know that regardless of how we feel, those things don't change, yet pursue the kind of inward conviction of our heart that just wells up and screams in us in a good way, I am the Lord's. I belong to God. Because he wants both of those things for your life. Both of those things. I think we can do that. Turn with me to um, Matthew 14. We're going to get some help from the Gospel of Matthew today. Specifically verses 22 through 33. So to set the stage here, um, this is the story of Jesus walking on the water, right? And at the end of uh, the story, near the end, I think we're going to find a solution for our assurance problem. So let me recap for you what's going on in this chapter up to this point. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He puts the disciples on the boat, sends them, excuse me, sends them across the sea. Um, the storm kicks up, right? The disciples are going crazy. We're going to die. And Jesus comes out walking on the water. He's approaching them walking on the water. As, they get, as he gets closer, they think he's a ghost. They kind of freak out. He's like, no, don't be afraid, right? That's, uh, 
do not fear, uh, verses 22 through 30. So, um, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, this is verse 27, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And then Peter, you've got to love Peter. He says, if that's you, God, then call me out. Call, tell me to come to you. I just love Peter. He's like this bold, yet kind of brainless, like, uh, he just says so many things. He puts his foot in his mouth so many times. I love him. Um, and he does. He says, call me out. And Jesus calls him out. So he gets out of the boat, mind you, in the middle of the, of the as if the, it's not bad enough for them in the boat, but in the middle of the tumultuous seas, he gets out of the boat and he starts walking to Jesus. Go to verse 30. It says, but when he saw the wind, this is talking about Peter, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. All right? When he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink. And of course, Jesus, gracious Jesus that he is, he reaches down, he pulls him up, he saves him, and then he tells him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And at that point, I really want to kind of look at Jesus and be like, Really, Jesus? Oh, you of little faith? I mean, they're in the middle of a storm. You tell a guy to get out of the boat in the middle of a storm and walk on water to you, and he does it, and you're telling him, oh, you of little faith. That sounds like a lot of faith that would be required to step out of a boat in the middle of that. I mean, that aside, I mean, he's a human being that steps out of a boat to walk on water. That's enough on its own. But then you throw the, the storm in on top of it. He entrusted his life to Christ. He, he, he said, if God has told me to come, I'm going to come. Right? Yet, what happened? When his focus shifted. Right? When he took his eyes off of Christ, and he began to focus on his experience, what's going on around him. Right? When he stepped when he stepped out of himself, remember our whole like stepping out, looking at what's going on? When he stepped out of himself and realized what he was doing, when he was no longer considering the object of his faith, but analyzing the situation around him, he began to sink. Does that make sense? That is exactly what we're talking about. Um, when I see Peter doing this, I see him see Jesus, confirm that it's him, Jesus has come, and just his spontaneous nature says, I'm going. And he doesn't even think about it. He just says, I'm going. Jesus said, come, I'm going. So he jumps over the boat, and he starts walking to him, and then can't you just see it? He's walking on the water, and then it dawns on him, holy Moses, I'm walking on the water, right? He's so spontaneous, that's why I love Peter, He's so spontaneous that he's doing stuff before he even realizes that he's doing it. Yet, the minute that he realizes what's going on and he takes his focus off of Christ onto his experience, he starts analyzing the situation. There is a wave coming at me. That is a problem, right? He's no, what, is it, what does it say in verse 30? When he saw the wind, right? He's not looking at Jesus anymore. He's looking at the wind and the waves and everything else. He is analyzing, he's in a sense, navel-gazing at 
I'm walking on the water. This might not go well for me. And when he does that, he begins to sink. So what, oh, little faith, what doubt is Jesus talking about? Because he certainly didn't have doubt to get out of the boat and come to him. He's talking about, why did you take your eyes off of me? Why did you, why did you start looking at all of these other things instead of focusing on me? When you do that, when you lose focus, you start to worry about things that aren't true. Right? If he, he could have been in, a, in the middle of a tornado, but if Christ told him to come out, Christ is going to be faithful. He doesn't need to worry about this or that, right? I'm not saying that our lives are free from pain. Far from it. Oftentimes, God will call us out into pain. But in that moment, he says, you need to stay focused on me. And the minute that you stop looking at me, and you start looking at your surroundings and what's going on, analyzing this on your own, you're going to start sinking. That's exactly what happened. It's the same way for us in our assurance Your assurance, my assurance, is only as strong as your focus is on Christ. If we start looking within ourselves and start looking for measurable ways that we can try to convince ourselves that we're okay and have peace about it, and we take our eyes off of Christ as the object of our assurance, we're going to start sinking just like Peter did. We need to be able to focus on Christ. And when I say focus on Christ, I mean specifically his work on the cross. The good news of the gospel, or Christ-centered gospel, the person, the glory, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ um, has to be our centerpiece, our true north. For us to be able to, to um, feel the assurance that we long for. Um, at the end of the day, this is what it comes down to. If you don't get anything else from what we talked about today, um, I, I would hope that you would take this away. We do not get assurance by focusing on assurance. And that's exactly what we do. We do not get assurance by focusing on assurance. We get assurance by focusing on the object of our assurance Namely, Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Yet our human nature says, I want assurance, so I'm going to go find ways to gather, to gain, to garnish assurance. And we don't, we, we, we don't look at the object that gives us that. Remember how joy comes to us, but it comes to us indirectly? Assurance is the same. Assurance comes to us, but it comes to us indirectly as we stay focused Not on how we feel, not on the experience that we're having, not on the situation, analyzing this, that, and the other, but on Christ. On Christ. The answer to our quest for assurance is look to Christ. Look to Christ. Now, how do we do that? Because that sounds really, really ambiguous. right? Look to Jesus. Um, Here's some ways that I'm going to encourage you to look to Christ. Um, incidentally, when Charles Spurgeon was saved, right, it's a really, really awesome story about how he was saved. He was, he was in the middle of a snowstorm. He was trying to get to the church he was going to. He was like 16 years old, unsaved, but God was wrestling with his heart. And he turned, because the snow was so bad, he turned into this little Methodist church, 
right? And the pastor couldn't even come. There was like six people there or four people there or whatever. And he comes in, he sits in the back. And this lay pastor gets up, didn't have anything prepared. He had one verse. He walks up, is uh, Isaiah 40-something. And um, at the end of it, uh, at the, this verse basically says, look unto me and be saved, right? Um, so Spurgeon is sitting in the back and this guy totally calls him out. And he says, young man, you do not look well. And he calls him out right then. And his, implore, his, his um, message to Spurgeon was, look to Christ. And that's what I'm telling you to do as well. So how do we do that? We need to stare at him. I mean that. Stare at him in the scriptures. Specifically, um, by reading the gospels every day. At least something in the gospels every day. Um, a couple years ago, I read a book called When I Don't Desire God. Kind of feels like a little bit of what we're talking about. Um, and in that, it was practical help on what do you do when you just don't feel like you desire God like you should. And uh, obviously, it's no, the, the information is not new. You need, to be, you need to be in prayer. You need to read your Bible. But it helped you find a way to, um, to do that practically. So I've brought with me, if anybody's interested... I've brought with me um, bookmarks. These are really awesome. I, I've used them for a number of years now. It's a system of getting through the Bible in a year. But specifically, bookmark three uh, takes you through the four Gospels in a year. You read about eight to ten, chap- eight to ten chapters, eight to ten verses every day or 25 days out of the month. You get a little leeway on five days in case you miss one. But f- uh, 25 days in the month, you get, you're in the Gospels. So every day... What I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is this first one. Stare at him in Scripture. Every day you're looking at Jesus. You're intentionally putting Christ before you. Um, and just because it's the middle of the year doesn't mean you can't start now. If you wanted to get through it, uh, you could do uh, two a day until the end. But I'll have these up here if anybody would like to, to take a look at it. They're obviously yours to, to take. So that's one way. We have to. How do we focus on Christ? How do we make him the focus, the object of our assurance in our quest for assurance, we stare at him specifically through the Gospels. We meditate on him. When you do that, when you do that, um, and we, we shouldn't be, by the way, afraid of that word meditate. I'm not talking like, you know, humana, 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 across your legs kind of meditate. I'm, when I talk meditate, I mean like ruminate. I mean like... Uh, it's all the, all the eight words. Um, marinate, ruminate, meditate, right? Um, when you read something about the, about the Lord in Scripture, you should think over that. You should maul that over in your mind. You should have a conversation with yourself, not you know, in a crazy way, but I do it all the time. It's like, why did he say that? Why, what did he do there? Why did he do it that way? I wonder why he, why he engaged that person that way. And you, you maul those things over. You meditate on those things, even throughout the day. We commune with him personally through an a intimate time of prayer. If you're not speaking to Jesus, right, I would encourage you that if you don't do that, when you, when you pray... Say his name. Talk to him like a person, right? Not just, oh, Father, oh, or oh, God, but talk to Christ individually. Um, commune with him not only through Scripture, but also through, also through intimate prayer. In those moments, ask him. Ask him. 
Why did you say that? Why did you do that? Not just in your current context, but what you read in Scripture. Why would you tell them that? Or why would you say that, right? The rich young ruler. Why, why, did, you, why did you handle him that way? Right? And have that dialogue, open up a two-way dialogue with him and rely on the Holy Spirit to, um, to help you understand and listen. And of course, we thank him, and we thank him most of all for the cross. Um, God's also been working on my heart about repentance and what that really means to repent. Um, what, it mean, what does it mean to preach the gospel to yourself? When I, when I know that I'm, I've sinned and I want to come before the Lord... And I want to enjoy that communion with him. Oftentimes the sin that I committed the day before or at some point before restricts me. I feel something's wrong. So I want to confess that to the Lord. But if we don't take the next step and not only confess our wrongs, but then um, preach the gospel to ourselves and say, uh, in, in very practical terms, God, I confess that I was a jerk yesterday to such and such, or I really dealt with pride, or... I really dealt with lust, or I really dealt with fill in the blank yesterday in these situations. Um, please forgive me for that. And then thank you that 2,000 plus years ago, that sin was paid for on the cross. Thank you that you took the punishment, because when I did that, when I did that, I deserve to die. Right? The wages of sin is death. I deserve to die because of what I did yesterday. And 2,000 years ago, you said, no, you need to kill me instead. I will take his punishment on, my, on his behalf. If I, I need to remember that, and I need to thank him for that. And that stirs inside of me a communion with him, right? It, it deepens my relationship with him. And, as I, and I, as I do that, as I think about the cross, what that does is it laser focuses me not on how I'm feeling or how I'm doing or whatever, but it laser focuses me on um, him as the object of my faith. And that then gives me the assurance that I'm hoping for. Last bit here. Um, if you're a little bit more biblically astute, you may be um, wondering, now wait a second. There's a whole book in the Bible called First John that is written for assurance. Right? The book is written that you may know that you are a child of God. Um, aren't we supposed to look to that, not this whole focus on Christ thing, but look to that and the, these evidences that First John gives us um, to give us the assurance that we are his? And to that I say absolutely, amen. Um, if you don't know or you're not more familiar with First John, the, the evidence of your salvation as presented in First John is threefold. You believe the gospel. You love Christians, you love the brotherhood, and you reject sin. You are you're consciously, you don't make a practice of sin. 1 John 1 8 says, if anyone says they've sinned, um, if anyone says they don't sin, they're a liar. So we're not talking about perfectionism. I sin every day. But we're not making a practice. We're not, we're not, um, we're not at peace with our sin. We are actively trying to reject that sin, right? So those three evidences, if I believe the gospel, if I love Christian brothers and sisters, if I'm actively warring against sin, if I'm rejecting sin in my life. So those are three evidences, but I would ask you, how do those things come? Do you bear down, white-knuckle it, 
and say, I don't really feel like I believe the gospel, but doggone it, I'm just going to say that I do. I don't really like that person. I know they're a Christian, but I'm just going to put on a face and love them. Right? I really love this sin. I really don't want to stop doing it, but I'm going to try my darndest to not do it anymore. That is all willpower-driven Christianity. I would, I would submit to you that the way that those truths become true in your life is the same way that, what we t- that you find assurance. You look to Christ. When you look to Christ, you find that you believe the gospel. When you look to Christ, you find that you begin to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And when you meditate and commune with him in scripture and through prayer your heart will be changed. You will not want to sin anymore. Right? As those things take place, the assurance of our faith, the assurance of your faith can grow. So really the answer is the same. As we focus on Christ, we put Christ before us as often as possible. Right? We don't navel gaze. We don't we don't succumb to analysis paralysis, but we keep Christ in front of us. And as an object of our faith, um, the assurance will come. The assurance will come. Yes, there is a role for reflection. The Bible tells us that we should analyze ourselves. But I would encourage you to do that in arrears. In the moment, um, keep our eyes. We need to keep our eyes on Christ. Um, Tim Keller has he wrote a very short book, um, but the title of the book I think is worth the worth commenting on. It's called the freedom of self forgetfulness. The freedom of self forgetfulness. When I when my eyes are taken off of myself in whatever context that is, and it is put on Christ, that gives me all the things that God has has said in His Word that He wants for me. If I take my eyes off of Christ in pursuit of those things, even those good things, I'm trying to get at it in a way that I wasn't designed to get at it. So I hope this has been an encouragement to you. Uh, it was an encouragement to me as I put, put these thoughts together and, and, and really tried to wrestle with what, what it is that God's trying to do in my heart. I um, hope it's something for you to chew on. And what I'd like to do, uh, two things. If you want to talk afterwards, I'll, I'll hang out up here. If you want to pray, um, I would be thrilled to pray with you. Um, talk through whatever if you have any questions. If you want uh, one of these, it's two, two parts, right? January through June, June, July through December. Feel free to come up and get those. But more than that, I'd like to pray that God would do this miracle in my life and in yours because it is a miracle. What we're talking about here is a supernatural thing. So let me pray that God would do that. Father God, we come before you. Uh, Lord Jesus, we come before you. And Holy Spirit, we we welcome you to help us understand the source of our our assurance. Um, God, I, I know that I succumb oftentimes to looking at myself analyzing myself, trying to make sense of life myself. And when I do that, I take my eyes off of Jesus. 
We come to faith because we cast our eyes upon Christ and what he did on the cross. And we, get, we gain the assurance that we are, we are yours. We are children of God by doing the same. It doesn't stop at conversion. We must keep our eyes riveted on our Lord Jesus in order to continue in the growing, becoming stronger in the faith, but also growing in our assurance that, yes, we are yours. I think of Romans 8 and how it talks about how um, your spirit, the Holy Spirit, resonates. He bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and that happens as we cast our eyes upon Christ. Nothing lasting and good can come with us focusing on ourselves. And that's true in many respects, many respects, none the least of which is the assurance that we want um, to know that we belong to you. So I pray that you would do this miracle in us. I pray for any that would be here that don't know you, that they would not leave this room without um, talking to me, talking to someone else about how to, how to come to a personal relationship because without that, there is no assurance, no matter what, no matter how we feel. Assurance can only come through salvation. And I pray also that if there be any here that have struggled with this in the past, that they would be encouraged um, to look to you, to not look to the problem, but to look to you and let you minister to them and give, give them the assurance that their heart desires. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.